for Christ to command into them. For thou art our salvation, Lord. We need the candles lit. Can you see if they're back there? Quickly. Right back. No, no, back there. Back there. No. Light for the candles, yes. No, don't worry about it. Come here. Come here. Come here. Light off the one red candle. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw nearer the true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is the name of the Lord. I said, will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in his stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appear. Rejoice! Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. The Old Testament lesson for Gaudete Sunday, the third Sunday in Advent, is written in the 40th chapter of Isaiah the prophet, beginning at the first verse. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her for her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So get ye up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Stir up your might and come and save us. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You lead Joseph like a flock. The epistle lesson is written in the fourth chapter of St. Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, beginning at the first verse. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Stir up your not might and come to save us. Alleluia. is written in the 11th chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the second verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said unto him, Are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? And John answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached unto them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to behold? A reed shaken by the wind? Why then did you go out? To see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, those who wear soft raiment are in king's houses. Why then did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of the Lord. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, whom for us men, and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Jordan's rolling stream, 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, what did you go out to see? What did? What did you go out to see? This is what Jesus is asking them after the departure of the disciples of John. For that's essentially what hearing John the Baptist was, right? Going to church. John was the church, but not like the church today. No, America, we have a nice church. Our churches are nice, right? The main qualification, the joke in seminary was among our, m- myself and my colleagues was really the only thing the Missouri Senate really wants is a bunch of nice boys to be pastors. They really don't care whether we declare the gospel or whether we declare the law or whether we're are dedicated to, to, the, to, the, to the doctrines of the church, just as long as we're nice. That's the main thing, to be nice. And nice is good. I'm not saying that I don't think we should be nice. We should be nice. But the problem is, nice is a feminine virtue valued by women, and that's good. We think we should give things that, are, that women value because women make up the majority of Christian congregations and church councils and and daily participants in the parish life in most churches in our country. So we should be nice to ladies. We should. I mean, I like ladies. I think we should be nice to them. Because they're the ones who are being touched by the gospel today the most, women. 
women's ministries, women's conferences, women's Bible studies, women's retreats are ubiquitous in the modern church. Men's ministry, if it exists at all, might consist of an occasional pancake breakfast or maybe an annual retreat. But often the only, often the, 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 one of the only men practicing Christianity in the, in the church today is the pastor, assuming he's a, a male. So how did a faith founded by men, all of, all of which except one became a martyr and gave their life for the, for the, for the proclamation of the gospel, become so popular with women and so anathema to men. See, the church of the first century was different from the church of today. It was a male magnet. Jesus' strong leadership. He was blunt and honest and bold. He mesmerized men. You know, in a five-minute sermon by St. Peter, 3,000 men were converted in the book of Acts. But today's church, the modern Western churches, we repel men. And what's worse, nobody seems to really care about the problem, the absence of men. So says David Morrow in his book, Why Men Hate Church. Yes, this travel, travel, executive, travel channel executive and former ESPN writer and Presbyterian elder is very concerned about why, why men don't want to go to church, why, why they hate church. And he, he asked the question rhetorically, well, maybe men, maybe it's because men don't like church, or maybe because they don't like getting up on Sunday mornings, or maybe they don't like admitting that they're weak or sinful. But let's be honest. Women, you grapple with the same issues, don't you? You grapple with sin and weakness and, and not doing the right thing, just like men do. You're just as susceptible to sin and atheism and religious pride. So what gives? What's the problem with men? What, what is our malfunction? Well, Morrow goes on to observe, he says, today's church has set up a spiritual thermostat to accommodate the people who actually show up, who actually participate, women, children, and older people, right? Which makes sense, really. I mean, I don't want to be tough on those who are here. No, but men suffocate in this environment, and they leave. Because almost everything about today's church, its teaching style, its ministries, the way people are expected to behave, even today's popular image of Jesus, as Amy Grant once said, like, like, like your boyfriend, is not really designed to meet the needs of men. No, it's mainly for the expectation of a largely female congregation. And so today's church has become sweet, sentimental, nurturing, nice. It's an environment in which women thrive. And that's good for them. It really is. But that's maybe why adult women outnumber adult men two, two to one in a typical congregation. Women are much more likely to volunteer, after all, and much more likely to show up for church events, and their superhuman commitment to the programs of the church really sustain us. I, and I do, for one, appreciate that a lot. I do. Yes, I, like all pastors, know this. And so we work very hard to recruit and retain women. And yet John the Baptist wasn't like this, was he? John the Baptist was the antithesis of this. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was more like a drill sergeant or a football coach than he was a romantic poet or a boyfriend. 
No, he was a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. And everything that he said, none of it was easy. None of it was comfortable. It was hard. Because it is hard. It's hard to look in the mirror of God's law and see yourself, not as you want to be seen, but as God sees you. A sinner. One whose deeds deserve death. It's hard to do that. But that's what John the Baptist did. No, and and the location he went, that he chose for his ministry, was not an easy location. It wasn't designed by a a marketing specialist or or some kind of focus group to be very convenient to everybody's houses in, in, in an area where it's easy to get to. No, he goes out into the Jordan. He goes out into the wilderness, far away from people. And you have to go and find him. He doesn't find you. He's very difficult. And he's fighting. He's fighting with us, it seems. Or or is he fighting against us? Or is he fighting for us? See, I think sometimes we misunderstand the church. We think that when the church is aggressive towards us, that that the church is fighting me, or attacking me, or going after me, or trying to make me feel guilty. But maybe that's not the truth. Maybe we in the church are fighting for you and against your sin, and against your unbelief, and against the demonic forces that seem to have you under their control. You're not our enemy, but those that control you are. And so we must come against them. And sometimes we get to come against them hard. Nice doesn't always do it. And John the Baptist understood this. That's the reason why he came clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Thus he exuded the masculine virtues of self-sacrifice, hardship, and denial. Traits men are not born to but must earn the hard way. Traits that we must pay the iron price for, must pay the hard price. And this is an unpopular message among many. No one likes to be told that they're sinful or wrong. No. No one likes to be told that you need to repent, that you need to take your life and go on the opposite direction that you're going, that you were going away from Christ and now you must go towards him. But where is Christ found? Right? I mean, Luther, our theology, the theology of Martin Luther was the theology of the cross. That is, that is such a hard theology. Because Jesus says, if you were to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. But where does Christ take his cross to? To Golgotha. He takes his cross to the place of the skull where he is where he, he's, he, he's, he's put to death for the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said at the Jordan River when Jesus appeared to be baptized by him. And that's what this piece of artwork reminds us of. That's hard. But that's the kind of message men want to hear. We want to call to arms. We want to call to the great quest. And that's why maybe Jerusalem, Judea, and all the Jordan River went out to him, Jesus, Jesus we are told in Matthew 3, verse 5. All of them. All of them. But what happened when he saw his political rivals, or his theological rivals, his theological opponents, rather, when he he saw the Sadducees and Pharisees come to his baptism? What did he say? Did Did he speak kind words of conciliation? Oh, I'm so glad to see you Pharisees and Sadducees here. Please receive baptism. Is that how he spoke? (laughs) No, he called them a brood of vipers and warned them of the wrath to come. 
pretty hard stuff, right? And that's why Jesus says, what did you go to see? Did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken in the wind? What did you go out to see, he says? A man clothed in soft raiment? Indeed, those who saw wear soft raiment are in king's houses. What did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way for you. And how did he do this? By telling people the truth. The truth. The truth is what we need as well. There's plenty of people in our culture that will connect our wires and create relationships and comfort us with all kinds of things that are absolutely saccharine, polyester, and false. What we need is the truth, the truth of God's word that will set us free, right? That's what we need. We need the truth. And that's what John the Baptist served up. He served up the truth. John's listeners, you see, had a problem. It's a problem that is quite common, I know, among Lutherans. We think that because our, our forefathers ate bratwurst and were lederhosen, that somehow we're going to heaven, right, because we're Lutherans. But the reality is that, no, that's not how that works, is it? That we're saved by grace through faith, through, through faith apart from works, lest any man should boast. It has no, does not matter what our forefathers ate, drank, or wore that makes somebody a Christian and that was true for the Hebrew people, the Jews. They thought because they were descendants of Abraham that they were going to go to heaven automatically. And Jesus said, no, I can raise up sons of Abraham from the stones, right? He says, rather, rather, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say you have Abraham as your father. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be thrown into the fire. That's a hard message. But one that we should also consider, do you think not? Are we bearing good fruit? Are we bearing good fruit? You need to answer that for yourself. With God, I cannot answer for you. No, America needs John the Baptist. We need him. We need him because as a people, we become lazy, hedonistic, and, and bored and spiteful. Yes, and we like, we, we like, we need preaching that is going to hit us right between the eyes, and it's going to be as personal as a punch in the nose. That's what we need. We need to abandon preaching that is politically correct or inoffensive, that's trying not to hurt people's feelings. Not that we want to hurt your feelings, but you need to know the truth. Often our, our homiletics in our churches resemble more what the Pied Piper did in Germany in the myth where he leads the rats out and then he leads out the children. In both cases, whether you were a rat or a child, your outcome was not a good one. But you like the tune. Now, Jesus was even bolder than John the Baptist. When he faced religious corruption, how did he behave? Did he sit down and try to focus group with them? No, no, what he did was he took cords and wrapped them into a whip and he drove them out of the temple with a, with a whip. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer and you have made it a house of merchandise. And for the last 40 or 50 years of my life, at least, I think the mistake Christianity in the United States and, and Western world has made is we think that the problem is, the problem we have with the church, the reason why we're not growing like we think we should is because we don't have a good enough marketing plan. 
house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a house of merchandising, a den of robbers, a den of thieves. Pick a choice. When Jesus was faced with corrupt religious authorities seeking to murder him, and he knew they were, did he tell them what they wanted to hear? No. He looked them in the eye and said, before Abraham was, Hashem. And they knew what that means. That means that Jesus is saying out loud in front of you that he is the same person who met with Moses in the burning bush. In fact, if you look at ancient church icons of the burning bush, the flames actually come into, come into a Jesus. Yeah. And they picked up stones to murder him. And the mob came to Gethsemane to arrest him and take him to the cross. Jesus didn't try to get out of it. He faced it head on as a brave man should, as a hero should. And he said, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And again, that's literally in Hebrew, Hashem. And they fell down, every one of them, back to the ground. And then, they, then he allowed, let, allowed himself to be taken. And he carried that cross of his all the way to Golgotha. And he died upon that cross so that we who are born dead in trespasses and sins might live. He did that not because he was a victim. No, he, had, he could, could have called on angels, angel legions at any moment to rescue him. He did it intentionally. He did it because he knew the only way you and I can live, the only way you and I can know eternal life, the only way you and I can see paradise is if he is allowed to be mounted on the gibbet of the cross and die there for us. And so he did it. And that's a comfort to women and an encouragement to men. That's true masculinity, men. That's the God who calls you this day to follow him, to pick up your cross and join him in something that really matters. Because what does it matter to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And that's the reason why in that garden before he was arrested and taken, when God put that cup before Jesus, he accepted it and took our, our sins to the cross and paid for them there. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Welcome this morning. I'm glad to have everyone here. Let's note the blue news for this week in our activities of our church. Uh, this, of course, is Advent. This is Advent 3. And uh, so we do have uh, in the mornings on Wednesday at 11, we have matins. And uh, that's a prayer hour and uh, prayer service primarily, but there will be a short homily. And then after it is, a, we'll have a really good luncheon that our Fellowship and Life Committee puts on. It's always very tasty and innovative. It's really good. And then and then in the evening, we have a Vespers at 6, after catechism and after children's choir. And, uh, and then we'll uh, have, a me- have a meal after that as well, uh, also. And then senior youth, of course, in the youth house, right, after that this week for sure. Uh, also, uh, we have some prayer requests. Uh, one is from Erin Bird. She asked that we pray for a family friend who is having heart surgery on Wednesday and suffering also from cancer, so we'll pray for that family friend who was anonymous, so we'll pray for her. And then also, my brother-in-law, Gary Hendricks, has cancer, some of you know, and he is, you know, he's still really struggling with it, and, and uh, so we'll pray for him as well, if, um, if I might um, ask you to do that for me. The Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ in the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For Doris, Marianne, for, for this holy house and for those in faith, piety, and the fear of God, offer here their worship and praise. Let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation, all our people, for our president and Congress, our governor and legislature of Alabama, for our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm, especially we pray for Doris and Marianne and Alice, for Bill and Joyce, Mary uh, and Mark, Eddie and Norma, Kim and Suzette, for Bob and Martha, for Marilyn and Dean, Terry and Tony, for Chris and Mary and Meredith and James, for George and Larry Dean and Earl, Suzette and Bob, for Mallory and Mark, Hank and, and Haley, for Jay and Tracy, Michelle and Carl, for Karen and Jimmy, Tina and Ainsley, for Kevin and Ron, for Thelma and Jesse and Ralph and Theo, Easton and Doug, for Hugh and Waylon and Ryan, and we pray also for the families of our parish who mourn, especially for the, the Heil, Blunt, and Davis families, the Chance family, the Blackwell and Cooper families, 
the Tatum and Rogers family, the Teckle family, the Gross family, Florentine and Parsons families, the Freeman family, the Nielsen family, the Osbacher and Schwartz family, the Gallardi family, and the Whitfield family. We pray, Heavenly Father, also for those serving in our country's armed forces, especially Riley, Paul Turner, uh, Paul, and Hayden. And we pray for all of our university students, including Minnie and Noah, Katie and Dylan, Aiden and Jacob. And we pray, Heavenly Father, also for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ, holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. Calling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing, we share with them the Sabbath rest, which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray especially this day for, um, for the person uh, that Aaron knows that is having surgery on Wednesday. Almighty and everlasting God, the eternal salvation of them that believe, hear our prayers on behalf of a person known to you who will have surgery on Wednesday for cancer and also um, is suffering. Uh, we pray that you will be with her as, as she and the doctors try to resolve her infirmities of heart and cancer. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would remove both infirmities uh, from her. For you say that anything we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, you will do. And so we ask this from you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. And we also pray for uh, Gary uh, Hendricks, who also has cancer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, look down from heaven. Behold, relieve thy servant Gary, for whom we offer up our supplications. Look upon him with the eyes of thy mercy and give him comfort and sure confidence in thee. Defend him from the dangers of the enemy and keep him in perpetual safety and peace. Through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.